Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, Scarlett. Welcome back, guys. You're listening to Style Over Substance. We're just two friends talking about our experiences working inside the fashion industry and also our observations from outside the fashion industry. It's sometimes serious, but it's definitely always a good laugh. Always. We release new episodes every Tuesday. So subscribe on your favorite podcast listening platforms. last week yeah we were discussing outlet yeah and this week I had the week off and obviously I was doing some balcony you went to Bista didn't you yeah I did go to Bista but yeah that's not okay the first bit I was gonna say (laughs) so I was in TK Maxx looking for plant pots because like where I live there's loads of TK Maxx's around here big ones small ones um (laughs) And I just found something really curious in there. <laughs> we spoke about this in the podcast, but there's Zara stuff in TK Maxx. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Clothing and, um, well, I say clothing. I saw a pair of sunglasses. Sun- and Zara sunglasses are like 20 quid anyway. I mean, sometimes they're even cheaper than that. Yeah, yeah. They're really weird. I don't get it. I, I don't see where the discount is. I feel like and- surely TK Maxx has... TK Maxx has to have like a threshold of what's worthy of going in the store. I think they just sell overstock. Yeah. I think. And then there was this really weird thing in the home section. It was like a little hammock thing. And I was like, but it wasn't a hammock, like a person size. It was like, do I put something on it? it A A decorative hammock. Like a hammock bench thing. It was so weird. I thought, what is this for? Who is this targeted at? Um, so yeah, Zara is at TK Maxx. Interesting. Mm. Interesting. Well, go back and listen to that episode if you haven't listened, guys. It yeah. was last week. <laughs> yeah, I did go to Bista, circling back to what you said. Um did you get anything? I did actually buy something, but nothing like of significance. But I did. <laughs> I mean, this is three. This is three months of my no buy thing, um, and it was practical. I bought a pair of like quote unquote trainers from, but it's not fancy from Uggs because supposedly they sell trainers now. And oh. I was like, I need a, just a plain pair of black trainers. You know when you wear stuff and like so it's got patterns on it. It's a bit weird. And they give me like sketches vibes. 
So you know, oh my god, you know who's the face of sketches in this country? Jamie Redknapp. Oh really? He's a handsome dude. Like, there's no way he would like. That's not his vibe. Sketches. It's not. But but we all do I things can, for money. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? I could see from a sketcher's perspective, they're wanting to branch out into like yeah, they new, probably want to become trendier. Yeah, yeah, and also like a new demographic. Like you know, those slightly older men who would not ever think to buy a pair of sketches would see it on him and be like, you know what? It's yeah. not bad. Um, but yeah, a lot of older ladies love a sketches. You know, mm. remember back in the day when we were growing up? I don't know if you remember. But the ones that used to rock, so when you walk, they were like training your calf muscles. Do you remember that? Yeah, oh my, oh my god, how many like yummy mummies used to wear those to like tone, wouldn't it be to like tone their calves? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 They were like <laughs> Yeah. So my UGG trainers oh my god, aren't like that. About those. Yeah. But they are very they are very springy and spongy. What your ones? Are you trying yeah, to tone yeah, your yeah. calves? I hope. <laughs> But I was like, you know what, Uggs, not a bad job here. I like them. Nice. Um, so I did buy something. It wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't that expensive. I got an extra twenty percent off because of nice blister. Um. So yeah, that was my black mark on my no buy spend for this year so far. I think you're doing quite well. Mm, I know because there was one point, legit one point, where I thought. I wanted to get something, two items actually, and I was thinking of every way how I could get them without breaking my uh, thingy, my rule or my no buy spend for the year. And I was just like, oh, no, but I really want them. But then at the same time, I was like, this is like, I need to just, I need to just like, what's the word? Get through this rough patch of me really wanting to buy something and just get through the other side. Yeah. And um, yeah, I did, but then I bought these trainers like a month later. <laughs> I love it. Uh, yeah. How are you? What's new in your life? Not a whole lot, to be honest. Um, I'm currently, I'm going through the torment, as I was saying earlier to you, like I book, booked a holiday and it's now that torment of wanting lots of things for this holiday. And actually... I don't need anything. I like factually, I don't yeah. need a single thing. Mm-hmm. Does my mind compute that? Because mm-hmm. it's it's that fantasy of I want to look like this on holiday. I want to wear this. Um, You're creating looks, aren't you? Yeah, like and so sort of part of my justification is that where I'm going, you sort of should dress quite covered mm-hmm. like it, you don't have to but it's sort of polite to yeah and so that's sort of I'm like I need a few sundresses that cover my shoulders mm-hmm. do I have some of those already I sure do uh <laughs> that was last year's that was two years ago but I think so currently all my summer things are is like backpacked in the loft so I think I need to get that back down yeah and relook at what I already have because I know that when I went away last year I had too many options to even like be able to fit them in my suitcase mm-hmm. so I know I've got enough things yeah um 
but yeah so like because actually my spending is really slowed down I think on clothing and things like that but I don't know it's difficult because even with like hybrid working um I don't wear enough of like my work wear slash like nicer clothes is what what I wear to the office because it's only for like two three days a week Mm -hmm. the rest of the time I'm sort of in just sloppy clothing like I don't think I'm actually using all my clothes that much at the moment yeah so you I'm not really and if I'm using probably the same five things of like leggings jumpers whatever so I probably just can't justify or I don't crave it um of course there's loads of things that I want to buy but it's kind of that thing of it's just more stuff Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um yeah but yeah um and also I guess now that holidays are available I I don't know if it's because I'm planning one but I just keep thinking of everything of like that could be that could be towards a holiday that could be towards this yeah. Like why would like why would you throw loads of money at stuff that's like you've already got some of it? Yeah, exactly, exactly. That's why I don't deprive myself in other ways. Like I'm yeah. allowed to spend my money in other ways because that's pretty much all it is. Like life is for living using your yeah. money, of course. But do you, you get to the point where you're like, I think I'm overdoing it in this area of my life. Yeah, where I could really enjoy it in other ways. Yeah. You know? So true. So the thing about clothes, it's it's a bit of a pain, but you have to find somewhere to store it. That's <gasps> Don't even <start>. <laughs> get me started. <laughs> That's his biggest downfall. <laughs> I just can't. I'm just so over the fact that my clothes don't fit in my wardrobe. <laughs> What's your fashion story? (laughs) (laughs) My fashion story is actually something we've spoken about. You know, the episode of about creative directors, some of which have multiple jobs. How do they do it? Yeah. nepotism in the industry and kind of you know how the same group tight-knit group of people get all the jobs so I don't know if you I didn't actually know this fashion designer's name but I'd seen his stuff from this most recent fashion season so Glenn Martin mm-hmm. is officially like the biggest or the the busiest, let's say, the busiest creative director in the industry at the moment. So he is creative director currently of the Y Project. He's just come out with his collection as a creative director for Diesel. Don't hear Diesel a lot, but I've seen some images of it and they look quite cool. I mean, it's not me. It's a bit too 2000s, like romanticizing the 2000s a bit too much. You know how we feel about that. Yeah. But I thought, oh, this is quite fresh for Diesel. And he also did the Jean-Paul Gaultier collection. I think it was, I don't know if it was a couture collection. I think it was, but that was stunning. 
Um, and that came out a couple months ago. Yes, yeah, so it must have been around the time of Couture. So he's got three jobs. He is creative director of all three of them. Um, they're not, when I say they're not the biggest brands, what I mean is that they aren't the um, brands that you hear about a lot mm-hmm. all the time doing all the award shows and things like that. So he's not going to be as busy as, say, someone who designs for, oh, I don't know, like Gucci or something like that. But to have three roles as opposed mm. to just one is madness. Like, and also to design for each brand in their respective styles simultaneously. Of course, he has a team that help him. Yeah. But to, to kind of come up with the direction for what you want to do in th- three very different brands, quite frankly, <laughs> um, in itself is... Uh, exhausting yeah yeah especially like if you suddenly got uh an urgent call or someone's like oh my god this fabric is like out of stock or they can't make it in time you suddenly got to think right which fabric is it talking about like you've got to switch your head straight into that role um, and that's got to be really tough. I think that's difficult anyway as a creative mm. director at one in one brand, knowing just knowing so much stuff. So to have that in three places, and of course, like you said, there'll be a team of people to help, but it still ultimately falls on him. That's his that's his role, um, and he has to support whoever he has to help him as well. Mm. So mm. yeah, mm. geez, busy man. Yeah, so I think his role with Jean-Paul Gaultier is is not as large because obviously Jean-Paul Gaultier is still alive and he's still very much part of his brand. Yeah. Um, but still, a lot of work there. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, what yeah. is your fashion story? So I've sort of got two small ones. Mm-hmm. One is a little update. The Birkenstock Manolos sold oh. out straight away. I love them. I saw the pictures. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, They sold out straight away. They were going for $800. Um, That's quite steep for a sandal. (laughs) Um, (coughs) But yeah, it was a total sellout really fast. um, And you wouldn't really expect anything other than that. I kind of already want them to do another one. Because they had done, it was quite a limited palette. I think they had like some black leather and then it was the blue velvet and the pink velvet. I think that's all I saw. Yep. But it'd be like, it'd be cool. Like that gives them enough scope that in like six months or a year's time, they can do some other colors or. Mm -hmm. Definitely. um, I don't see why they wouldn't continue this. Yeah. Because it's not like from a you can price never have point too many of you. <laughs> yeah, like from a price point point of view, it doesn't diminish the prestige of Manolo's because it's yeah. too expensive. So true. Um, and then from Birkenstock, their shoes are still really popular, and mm. this is just like opening themselves to a new group of people who would never have thought that they would want Birkenstocks. And I can imagine, like Crocs, like literally. I can imagine people buying these in every color in the same way that people buy 
his like lure mules or his like hangisi, you know, like um, heels, his like most yeah. popular styles, and they have them in different colors. Yeah, I can imagine people. Yeah, that's actually such a good point. And especially like you use Crocs for house shoes. I imagine there are people who sort of have a similar thing with Birkenstocks. They're really popular. That you get fur lined ones, whatever. Um, but yeah, people have things in multiple colors, especially. I do find that, especially for shoes and I guess handbags too, I guess it's accessories, but you definitely see it often with shoes that people will often buy into the same style if they like it, if it fits them, if they know it's comfortable. People do have multiple of that same style. Mm-hmm. Um, as, like, and and then you're like, that's like a 700, 800 pound pair of shoes and you've exactly. got like five of them. But it's that luxury thing of if you like something, I guess it's like we get a t-shirt in a few different colours. <laughs> I know. <laughs> different scales, yeah. Um, but yeah, and then my second fashion story, I think I sent you a picture of her. So that uh, we're currently recording this on the Sunday. The Oscars is happening tonight. Um, but yeah, yesterday was pre-Oscar parties. Mm. And... Um, the actress M- Maud um, Pateau, probably saying that badly. Oh. She is Leslie Mann's daughter. If you know the actress Leslie Mann, who's been in like This Is 40 and stuff like that, you would definitely recognize her. But she wore this oh, y- YSL look to a party and it is giving me such 80s vibes. It's like a blazer dress, color block. Um, we'll put a picture on Instagram. I won't describe it for too long because that's not fun for you guys. But it was just a really strong fashion moment and it made me just really excited for the red carpet tonight. And then, you know what I almost prefer is then like the Vanity Fair looks, you know, that people change from their big frock moment and people take a few more risks and I would too for like Mm. the Vanity Fair or the uh, any after party you go to. It's more like a cocktail party isn't it Vanity Fair whereas like Oscar is like black I I would play it safe for the Oscars you don't want to be that person that's like "Mm." um so yeah I'm excited I'm excited to watch it and yeah yeah I mean off topic this is not even fashion but um I did see someone during the week had created this YouTube video about nepotism in not nepotism but it was like all the kids of these famous actors and actresses Mm. becoming actors and actresses as well (laughs) and I was just it's related to what you were saying how like both her parents are actors and she's so young she's 24 and 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 their other daughters and actress too there you go and it's just like I don't know who she is I don't know how good her acting is but I bet it's not amazing she's in euphoria yeah I don't watch it so I don't know but that's quite a big show like I think she would stand out if if she wasn't good but then again there's loads there's loads of like kids of actors and actresses who are mediocre yeah yeah I think I think Meryl Streep's daughter is an actress Oh no, you have to walk in the shadow of your mum. So I actually, yeah, I know this is a bit off topic, but I actually do feel quite, 
I think it's you've got to be outrageously good to do it. Especially like if Meryl Streep is your mum, you've got to be a, a very good actor to want to go into that profession. So like in Formula One, mm. Michael Schumacher's son. Yeah, Mick. Is racing. Mm. He's, he's mm. not that great. You know what? In his defence, it's partly because he's in a shit team. Well, he's got a better car now. <laughs> yeah, he has. He's got a doing better, better car. He's doing better, yeah. But um, um, and he ne- he nearly he nearly got points last week. Um, but um, and then even even I think um, one of David Beckham's sons is quite into football, isn't it? Maybe the middle one, Romeo. He plays for like his the Miami team that David Beckham owns. Oh. Like the youth team or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And again, you've got to be really talented. No, you don't. You don't have to be. You just have to have the audacity I, to well, think that you can compete with your parents' legacy. And I guess actually it depends on their mindset. Because my mindset would be that everyone's watching and everyone's waiting for them to say, I'm not as good. But lots of people, maybe these people probably have more self-belief than I do. (laughs) I don't even think it's self-belief. It's like people, because you're that person's son or daughter, people are offering you jobs. Yeah, you get afforded They're offering them to you. And even if you're not that great or you're just average, let's say, I'm not saying they're terrible, but you're average, you're getting paid at like the ripe old age of 22, more money than most people get in a year's salary to do something that you got into quite easily because of your parents. Yeah. And it's just kind of like a, why not let me dabble in it? Sort of. I don't know if they take it seriously. We interrupt this broadcast to say, go follow us on Instagram. Our handle is at Starloves of Substance Pod. There you'll find our weekly fashion topics, all the stuff that we discuss in each episode, and our polls. Or reach out to us at styleoversubstancepodcast at gmail.com for new suggestions of topic discussions or even to share your own fashion stories. We also have a YouTube channel, Style Over Substance Podcast, if you'd rather listen to our episodes over there. Back to the episode. This week's topic is vintage. The world of vintage shopping secondhand pre-loved mm. yeah know. yeah I think this is really we say this all the time it's really overdue this topic yeah I can't believe we haven't done it yet I know uh, but yeah I think vintage shopping is an interesting one because over the past like 15 20 years it's really made a transformation as from something that was just more charity shop based mm. Um, and we called things back then when we were growing up and vintage shopping was becoming more fashionable. Um, we still called it secondhand. Mm. And then there were terms like upcycling where you would take a garment 
and you would spruce it up a bit, change the buttons, change the trim, whatever, and then sell it on or wear it yourself and you'd upcycled an item. Um, charity shopping was where you would get your, you know, your garments and your items and accessories and whatnot. And then you would go to, I guess, like haberdasheries if necessary. Um, but it's like transformed into this thing that's not so bohemian mm. or like for those who are into dressing in a particular decade, like very, it's, it's, it's no longer yeah. niche or bohemian. It's now mainstream, very fashionable. Um, it's become big business as well. And we use like words like pre-loved. Mm. You know, it makes it sound like this is not your average smelly item that you probably think someone died in (laughs) (laughs) in their clearance of their property (laughs) yeah this is not like a an estate clearance whatever this is an item that was loved and you're gonna Mm. love it now and it's it's in great condition and you know there's also terms like it's new to me so it's not new but it's new to me because you know I've just bought it and this is the first time I get to experience it so our language of vintage shopping and our approach to it has completely shifted. Yeah, I actually think that's a really, terminology is really important because it's what it, it's what it evokes in your head. Like you said, secondhand sounds way less positive than pre-loved, you know? Yep, yep. Um, and even like you said, upcycling, that is a positive word. It has the word up in it, like all of that mm. stuff um, rather than used. Yeah. You know, like mm. the terminology and that's probably as it's got bigger, people have done the spin doctoring to it to make it sound more appealing. Mm. But it is important because it makes the experience just, I think it opens people up to it. Mm-hmm. And I think also that um, vintage shopping has probably also increased. It's become more accessible. Mm-hmm. So unless you lived near a very good, so from this I'm talking about more luxury vintage shopping, unless mm-hmm. you lived near a great store for that, you wouldn't have the opportunity to find those things And some people have the time and patience to trawl through charity shops and hope that someone's discarded something quite nice. Mm -hmm. Um, But now it's way more accessible with websites. I mean, I live in a small town in Surrey and there is a pre-loved, like, high-end vintage shop Mm -hmm. off the high street. Yeah, Um, you're right. There's, like, more boutique businesses that deal with vintage now. Um, you're completely right in saying before, like 20 years ago, it's either you were quite wealthy yourself and you and your girlfriends would swap things mm. within your own kind of hub. You knew people who had older luxury pieces that you might buy from them or you might be gifted or whatever, or you knew where all the good jaunts were to get. So like in London, one of the first tips people say is go to charity shops, but in Knightsbridge, yeah. go to Chelsea and go to those places. Um, because the same thing that people do across the world of like giving their like old bits and charity shops, 
rich people are doing it there the same Mm. thing and what to them is like average and whatever and they don't care about it anymore you might be picking up Givenchy Mm. (laughs) for like a fifth of the price that that person paid for it and it's really affordable and and so yeah so those were your like only options to go to charity shops in wealthy areas or no wealthy people who wanted to give you stuff um, or you inherited it from like your parents. Um, but yeah, it's, it's become far more accessible, far more boutique. We'll, we'll go into like marketplaces and whatnot like that. Mm. But um, I've got a question for you to start us off. When was like your first experiences of shopping vintage and how did you feel about it? And what's your overall personal approach to vintage shopping? I mean, at school, like I feel like people, friends used to like to go to beyond retro, Yeah, but, but that probably put me off because it's a shop that like in my head smells (laughs) Like you, the jumpers stink, like all of that stuff. And of course it's got really nice stuff in there, but it was never really my style. And it was quite particular. And like you said, I think it was more for people who had a niche way to dress. Yeah. It was quite 80s retro, wasn't it? It was just, yeah, it was a bit Mm -hmm. old fashioned for the vibe. And I was pretty basic and didn't need that. Um, like I bought from like well, bought from the high street like I didn't have a distinct style um that that supported um so yes and then I probably didn't really look at that for a while I mean I've always used eBay um and so then I think the first time I probably looked at vintage stuff was when I was earning my own money and looking into um like how it could I afford something if I bought it on eBay instead mm-hmm. um and sort of using that platform and back then as well there were probably well there were definitely much fewer platforms where you could find um they didn't even have to be used they just mm-hmm. might be old stock mm-hmm. unworn um yeah. or unused whatever um but yeah just maybe uh, like excess stock or I also think back then lots of people used to buy things with the intention just to sell them on yeah I think like growing up we definitely saw like the development of eBay Mm. um and that was a big driver in the world of like vintage secondhand and as you said as that caught on people were buying stock upcycling it and then selling it on Mm. um it was like etsy before etsy in that sense um and yeah i yeah so you're right in that sense it was i think we lived through a period of it becoming more and more mainstream yeah but yeah and and you're right like places like uh, beyond retro it was like this early 90s 80s aesthetic full of shell suits yeah. full of dad jumpers yes and like the occasional cowboy boot yes <laughs> and I love a cowboy boot I do but they were old and like a lot of these vintage shops 
um that was their aesthetic and a lot of places still do now like they buy the clothing by the kilo Mm. um and it's based on its weight and then they will trail through all that stock pick out what's good repair what's not merchandise it and then put it in their shop and whatnot and yeah I I think because you're not like a a rummager like in shops I, I do actually like I enjoy the rummage um it just wouldn't appeal to you if you didn't like the act of finding things yeah like charity shopping has never been that appealing to me I think I've I just don't have the patience for it mm-hmm. I just know ne- like I've said it before I just don't enjoy the act of shopping like I used to go into shops having already maybe looked online and hoping to buy it there back when it was much less accessible to buy something online or yeah. you didn't get free shipping or anything like that so it made sense to go into the store and you tried it on and the return mm-hmm. process wasn't as good yeah um but yeah, it's not for me. So actually now that there are websites, because mm-hmm. weirdly I control through a website, no problem. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I thought like it's much more accessible for people who maybe who don't want to rummage as well, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but have the patience for scrolling endlessly. <laughs> yeah, I could do a good scroll. Uh, you touched on a really good point, actually. And it's the idea of something being cheaper. I think that price has been for the for a really long time price has been the reason that people shopped on ebay yeah it was like okay i can't afford it full price but i'll go on ebay see if someone's maybe had it for a year and it's still in really good nick and i can buy it for 25 percent less yeah 50 percent less whatever it might be um my mum loves ebay she's very good at it. i think i've mentioned this before um and she feels no way about buying something that has been maybe like, she buys like occasion wear. So like mm. stuff to go to weddings in and whatnot. Um, buying something significantly cheaper. It's maybe worn once, take it to the dry cleaners and whatnot. Um, and so if you were back then, if you were okay with getting that discount at the expense of it not being new, then like, quote unquote vintage because it was being like rebranded as vintage um was a really good option but I think back then it was still very much most people didn't like the idea of wearing someone else's clothes that's how it felt and so it was like those who were really economical you know who wanted to do it and not like the fashion girlies as Mm -hmm. I call them who was like fashion and things being new is more important than the potential discount yeah yeah so true yeah it was definitely I wouldn't say sneered at or frowned upon but it definitely wasn't glamorous yes that was yeah I definitely think that it was just it was maybe just an association with like not having the means and that's not necessarily the case right because Mm -hmm. even if you have wealth you still want to dis like you still want like yeah a good price for something or if you can get it cheaper why wouldn't you like no one wants to throw money away Mm -hmm. so but I think that's now been repackaged and rebranded because I know loads of people who could buy something full price off the high street but love charity shopping still they find it really exciting 
And I think also one thing that um, when I was researching about, I think what appeals to people about vintage or secondhand shopping is that the oversaturation we have of brands these days mm-hmm. and generally they're all selling a really similar products like yeah. by, like by the by. So if you want something a bit more unique or something mm-hmm. that you don't think everyone else is going to be wearing down the street, yeah, charity shops, vintage, you can buy that dress that was sold 10 years ago and you have a more unique piece and i think it it just really suits people yeah i agree i think that was like the second phase of it it was like it was no longer just about saving money it was about you can find really unique things on these mm. platforms and that's what drew some more people into it um and you're right like rich people love a discount like they're How the you ones wealthy yeah, exactly. They're the ones who are hustling, who go into these designer shops asking for like extra 15% off. Yeah. It's, such poor, it's us poor people who are too embarrassed. Yeah, but, exactly. You know, <laughs> it's the wealthy knows like if I ask, I can get a discount and they do, they'll get it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's that was a big uh, part of it. Buying things that were unique that you couldn't find anywhere else that was maybe at the time when it was in the retail shop, the main shop, you couldn't afford it. Mm. And some time has passed. Now you have a bit more money and you're like, oh, I remember that bag. Let me see if I can find it. Someone else has it and they want to, they want to part with it. Yeah. So um, I think now we see another reason of the idea of being less wasteful yeah so it's not just about buying um something that's unique but it's again being rebranded to say not only are you saving money but you're saving the planet guys um i don't know how true that is to be really in practice because like with charity shops we tend to make ourselves feel better if we like oh well I'm not so bad because I bought all this stuff because in the end I did sell it and it went to another home Mm. or I donated it and that kind of makes us feel better about ourselves but in the same token we are we still continue to buy at the same rate and consume at the same rate so things will continue to be produced at a high rate regardless of whether we're buying secondhand or not so I don't know if that's necessarily true but I think um the idea of before you bring like a another thing into your home you're like letting go of something that you no longer use there is this cycle of like clearing out your wardrobe per se which lends itself to like selling and buying vintage and pre-loved yeah definitely I actually think um that's probably a trend that the younger generation has probably got down a bit more is displacing new clothing purchases with yep. um by yeah buying something new something else has to go mm. um and so basically i've got a stat that in the resale market mm-hmm. um it's growing so fast apparently 11 times faster than traditional retail oh and so it's predicted to be worth 
$84 billion by 2030, whereas fast fashion mm-hmm. is predicted to be worth $40 million. Seriously? So it's going to be worth double fast fashion. Um, yeah, so it's wow. big. But yeah, you know so what? in that, mm-hmm. it's so... And also then the number of people who were reselling items has Mm. like uh, tripled. Yeah, tripled. So in 2020, um, a platform saw 36.2 million new Mm. first-time sellers of of used garments. The next year in 2021, 118 million. Wow. So people have... And don't get me wrong, I'm sure a lot of that is also like the pandemic was still going on, mm-hmm. people want money, all of that stuff. But also mm-hmm. I just think that there's a surge in it. We have more platforms. There are loads of great platforms for it. Mm-hmm. They're like rise of Depop and I think mm-hmm. there's one called Vinted, like all of that stuff. And people are more interested in buying secondhand fashion than they are about buying something sustainable you know so if you are conscious of doing your bit I think people are more likely to turn to buying secondhand than sustainable because a people throw the sustainable word around and you actually don't know I think it's called like greenwashing um you don't actually know if what they're saying is true or if it's come at a different cost um to the planet or something else And also Mm. it's either really expensive if it has been done properly. So people would much rather buy secondhand. So I think that the whole market is just going to keep going on the rise with people Mm. displacing clothes, prioritizing it over sustainability. Mm. Um, And yeah, I just think that it's, yeah, Yeah. it's a a really interesting thing. I think you're right. Yeah. Another another thing to add into the mix as to why vintage shopping has become so popular in the last like few years is the 2000s, the noughties mm-hmm. and the 2010s. Fashion is characterised by an amalgamation of previous decades. Yeah. So really, and I think we spoke about this before, really it was like, the super skinny jeans, the jeggings was probably the only original thing to come out of the past yeah. 22 years. Other than that, everything else we've worn has been a play on something that's come before it. Yeah. A of different trends, different styles, different eras. Very little originality, really. Um, not saying there hasn't been great fashion, but nothing that has fundamentally changed the way we dress the only thing has happened is we've gotten more casual yeah and I think that because we're like trendless Mm. buying old stuff still works in your wardrobe it's still cool and I I think maybe it's because we've been around for nearly well me nearly three decades you you a bit more than three um (laughs) two months more than you I know um but I think because now we've witnessed that things come back round again. Yeah. So what was like 90s fashion is huge at the moment. 
Like mm-hmm. I literally just yesterday watched the Olivia Rodrigo. She did like some album thing. All her clothes are so 90s. Mm. And it's just really funny because she probably doesn't even know how 90s it is or that it's inspired from there. Yeah. But so that almost means that if you buy a set, well, it either encourages you now to buy into the trends. So like the saddlebag, the dual saddlebag, all these fabric bags. Mm-hmm for sure will come back round again. So it's either permission to go out and buy those or it encourages you to go be like, oh, I'll get it from when it was first cool yes. in the 90s. So I'll get that version and maybe that's a bit cheaper than the current one and all of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but you also now know with vintage stuff that things come back around lots things are trendless the girl that I referenced in my fashion story is wearing like an 80s power suit look Mm. that for sure is inspired by YSL in the 80s it probably is from then um but it's still relevant it's still cool yeah yeah yeah. but yeah another point off shooting from that is that brands have realized how profitable um vintage is so mm-hmm. it's only now that luxury brands are starting to embrace pre-loved secondhand yeah but a few years back what we saw a lot of brands do is reissue older styles so they would make yeah. them new but they would be updated versions of what they brought out 40 years ago 30 years ago 20 years ago so you mentioned the dual saddle came out in the early 2010s I think about 2005 2010 something around then um we've seen the Fendi baguette come Mm. back it's had its like modifications but it's essentially the same style um just updated for like Prada nylon bags exactly the Prada nylon and their whole like linear rossa collection with the nylon clothing um we've seen I don't know like oh Gucci came out with their Jackie bag I think Mm. which was a bag that Jackie Onassis used to wear it was reissued it's come out in different colors and prints and things so at a time when these big brands didn't really want to encourage reselling because they wanted you to buy new from them, quite frankly. They mm-hmm. thought, okay, there's clearly a trend of people wanting things we've made before. Let's just give it to them, but no, let's yeah. just make them again. And um, so, yeah, I think that's what's happened. Another thing which I think we are going to see more and more of is the fact that price increases from the likes of Chanel and people have a lot of opinions about Chanel quality um, but the price increases are going to continue to encourage pre-loved market and the resale world yeah and actually it's funny I was reading about how like this this um, article um, on a topic of vintage and pre-loved and how basically with that price increases are happening anyway but also the rise of vintage and how well these products hold their value makes mm-hmm. new products even more valuable. So because they the pre-loved mm-hmm. um, items hold their value and go for a, a good price, 
-hmm. it means that when brands are introducing new products, they have that knowledge and that reassurance that their products stand the test of time, that they can justify their pricing because it holds its value. So Mm. it's like this wicked cycle. It's like MS. Yeah. Yeah. It's a wicked cycle of knowing that, well, like Chanel could justify it, but like, well, it's still going to be worth like this. It'll be worth the exact price in 10 years, you know? Mm. Um, And with inflation, like, obviously there's a loss on that, but like arguably it would be worth the same price. So that mm-hmm. promotes them to become more valuable. And so it's definitely thought that in the future, we'll see brands create their own resale market because definitely. like, they could create this circle of they sell an item to a consumer, the consumer uses it for however long they want. They take it back in exchange for another product or cash or credit, and then the store sells it on. Mm-hmm. And it can be this like circular thing yeah. and it rewards stores and it doesn't just have to be for luxury, right? It rewards any store that has a quality enough item garment mm-hmm. that can stand the test of that mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. and can have multiple lives. So like your polyester blouse that you got from Zara is not going to live multiple lives. Mm-hmm. But if, but if they started like using a higher quality product, they could even do this like system too, um, yeah. which like blew my mind. And I was like, whoa, that's the future. <laughs> well, we're seeing the like beginnings of it now yeah. with loaning services. Yeah. They aren't brought about by the brands themselves, but they are like third party companies mm. and they will loan out. Who is it? The real, real? No, not the real, real. There's that other company. Oh shit, can't even remember. Um, but you pick what you want to wear, they <laughs> deliver it to you, you wear it, you have it for a week, a month, whatever. You think of her HRR. Yeah, and then they will dry clean it and whatnot. And yeah, I think I think definitely that is the way forward. Like these luxury brands can essentially get paid twice. Yeah. For the same item if they yeah. do it correctly um that's so true that is like and it could be more than twice right the cycle like in 50 years if I buy a Chanel handbag tomorrow mm. and I don't have anyone that I will ever pass it down to that I think would like it and I've got to the end of my use of it and I don't really reach for it anymore because I've already got a few more um mm. I can give it back to Chanel. Mm -hmm. They can then mark it as vintage. Mm -hmm. You then buy it Mm -hmm. another 10 years, like, and in like, in in the space of 50 years, three or four people could have enjoyed that bag. And they have made, they were never, as soon as they've sold that, that's that bag done essentially. But like you said, they could keep earning money off of those bags. I think that's where uh, companies that do all that offer like cleaning services, Mm. repair services, dry cleaning, um, tailors and all of that. That's where these come into play because over the past few years, we've seen a rise in those like bag spa and the restory and Mm -hmm. um, 
there's a number of other ones that you might be they might be more local to you but um for example the restory is quite big and especially like in london area i've seen youtubers use them i've considered mm-hmm. using their services and they will completely restore your bag your shoes or other garments like belts and things restore the leather the stitching and like makes really refreshes the item so that you can either sell it and you want to make more money on it you know Mm. don't want to sell a battered bag when you can kind of put a bit of money into it and sell it for even more money um or you just want to be able to use your item for longer because you know you that item is not available to be bought again you know it's 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 no longer available in store for example or you just love the item that you have and you want it to last longer and the idea of ordinary people reinvesting in what they already have has come part and parcel with the whole pre-loved vintage market reusing loaning out secondhand items and all of that it's like part of a bigger ecosystem now um but yeah along with as you said like the marketplaces of course we have ebay we have vinted depop you you shop on depop a bit and it's like allowing just ordinary people and that's another thing i think for the most part, the reason why this has gotten so big as an industry or like a subsection of the fashion industry is that it's been largely driven by like private individuals. Mm. And it's only now that these bigger companies are realizing, oh, we need to do this on our own, like for our own brand. Yeah. You know, like ordinary people had the tools of going on eBay and selling their own stuff and making money for themselves. And enough people did it that it was hard to ignore. And now brands are now jumping on it. You have Net-A-Porter with their reflaunt. It's called reflaunt, you know, their Mm. area of their business that is for reselling older garments. And you've got Selfridges with, it's called Reselfridges, creative. Um, they're now doing it for their store and their customers um, and other department stores and whatnot. But yeah, it's quite, it's like a little, started as like a little micro industry and now everyone's jumping on the bandwagon. Yeah. Um, And there's Farfetch that has second life. And so all these places like Selfridges, Net-A-Porter and Farfetch, they already sell this stuff. So like they can, again, they take a cut of reselling these items on Mm. for other people or whatever it is. And so it's, again, just another lucrative way for them to to join the ranks. And also, what's the one downside of resale? For me, it's like taking the pictures. It's like doing the stuff in my head. I'm like, well... I can't, I already can't really fit my clothes in my room. So where am I going to keep these clothes that I'm selling? What am I going to do with them? So I've got loads of stuff that I probably would maybe consider selling, but I would probably be more inclined just to take it to a charity shop because it's easier. So if you've got items that are worth a bit more and you can't be bothered to take really nice pictures or make sure that like you, the um, shadow of your iPhone isn't in it and all of that stuff, why wouldn't you give it to somebody else who's going to do it 
they take a cut or whatever the agreement is, but you have a less like <laughs> a more stress-free life. Yeah. That is that is the world we live in now, right? We love a shortcut. We will pay for any service that makes our life easier. Mm-hmm. Um, and these brands know it. And it's just, yeah, it's amazing. But I think what's really interesting about vintage fashion, and I think I've seen quite a few people, I've definitely seen the rise of vintage handbags on Instagram. In the last sort of three years, I'd say I almost have seen people buy more vintage handbags than new. Yeah. Um, and the language has become way more romantic. Yeah, it's true. So like when people talk about it and they're like, oh my gosh, like imagine I love the idea of owning something that's lived a life before me or you have something that's older than you are mm. and just like imagine what like the stories this item or this product could tell you. And it's so funny because actually if let's flash back to beyond retro when we're like 15 Mm-hmm. that like musky jumper does not evoke <laughs> the same thing yeah it does but work. you could say that mm-hmm. but I think that's the benefit also when it becomes a bit more luxury is that we can keep that romantic story alive yeah I just think money anything that's a high price product will always sort of have that and I think also back then fewer people owned luxury goods Think how many, I think how accessible it really is now. If you or I really wanted to, we could set up a saving plan to get ourselves something. I think whether we should or would is a different matter. Yeah, I don't think that it was less accessible back then. I just think people didn't spend their money on that. Yeah, it was less of a priority for a lot of people. Now it's become so popularized to own and buy luxury quite often yeah um it's it's for a lot of people it's treated like fast fashion like two grand for a bag is not a big deal when really it's a big fucking deal yeah um yeah so I I completely get what you mean and you're right about it being romanticized I think you have to have that level of fantasy and romanticism to justify high prices Mm. um so yeah I agree I think that what what's interesting going back to our earlier points is on online and on Instagram and whatnot you come across these smaller vintage shops so one that I've seen a lot is Cellier Knightsbridge I think it's called Mm. yeah Cellier there's La Society and then I saw another one just googling called luxury promise and they're all in nights oh, yeah. in that in that area um and they're all like women-led fairly small businesses and it's the idea of you know we kind of know um what's the word it's like dealing with these companies comes with a level of they they have a level of knowledge about these products they know about the history of these products they can authenticate as well which is something that maybe ebay doesn't do or depop it doesn't do um i think that's why vestia collective on a bigger scale is quite popular because you can Mm. get your things authenticated 
Um, but there's there's people out there with a lot of knowledge about the levers and about what year this bag came out in. And this is a, an unusual colorway for you to find this model in and blah, 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 blah. And people want that level of education, especially when it comes to buying a bag that is secondhand for three, four thousand pounds. And then when you talk about MS, which is like off the charts, ridiculous, like 25 thousand pounds for a bag that is easily 15 years old you know so people do really want that full experience and safety in knowing that what they're buying is the real deal so true and actually I think I would be way more inclined as much as I love vestiaire I would be way more inclined to use like luxury promise because Mm -hmm. I will speak to a human Mm -hmm. because still it's a big purchase. Like if I were buying an Hermes handbag, I don't just want to press like checkout on Vestiaire. I want to speak to somebody who checks that that's the right size for me. What do I want this bag for? Is it my every... I want that experience where they might go, you know what, actually we might have a bag coming in next week that will be better for you or you know, you still get that customer service or that maybe someone knows like you're buying a vintage Chanel and someone's like, this was a bag that was like this woman's, um, like you get the story behind this lady who was whatever, um, had lived an exciting life. They might know it. And I think there's something really special in that. So it's quite a clever thing to actually make that market a bit smaller and have these bespoke places mm-hmm. um like you said who really they do the knowledge because that's the hardest thing I think about vintage shopping yeah. is knowing it's from a trusted seller mm-hmm. and the author authentic I don't know how to authenticate something and people are so clever now that they could probably very much fake to my untrained eye certain things so the fact that's that true. there's people doing that for you and they also know what year the bag is from or what collection it's from. Mm-hmm. And then hopefully the way that they've priced it is fair, yeah. you know, rather than someone taking their chance, like Sharon in like the East yeah. Midlands thinking, yeah, this is worth a few grand. And you're like, How, like, what's your research there? And mm-hmm. just because you want that bag, you might pay that money without knowing. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. And and you're right. Going back to the knowledge aspect of buying things, unless you're someone who's incredibly wealthy, who has bought 50 Louis Vuitton bags and you know what the quality is like, you know what the lettering font is like, you know the colours that they use, you can sniff out a fake. Unless you're someone like that, you're not going to know because even if you're a big fan of LV now, for example, the way LV used to make bags 40 years ago is completely different to how yeah, they make them now. Totally. And whether it's the hardware, the font, the logo, the placement of things, to have the knowledge of, oh, you know, back then their serial number was only five digits long and now they're 15 digits long. Mm-hmm. Like I could look at a bag and think, mm, this doesn't look right, but 
you kind of need someone to guide you through the process of buying vintage luxury. And I think that goes back to why people, there's probably still a lot of people apprehensive about it. Yeah. So I know I have a friend, a really good friend of mine. She's like big into uh, buying luxury and just designer goods in general. She's like really fashionable and she doesn't buy just like the typical brands. But we were in Selfridges the other day and they have a loan service or they have, there was a company in Selfridges. I think it was like a concession that loans, occasion wear, party wear, cocktail dresses, all of that. And she was like, oh, don't know how I feel about, you know, something that's used already. And it goes to show that like you could be really into fashion now. And even though this is a big market, it's a big thing. There are still a lot of people who are apprehensive about Mm. buying something that did not come from the shop. And you spoke to a salesperson and it came wrapped in the box and everything. And although like for me, I don't mind if it's used because I can clean it or get it cleaned or whatever. Authentication is still a massive issue that needs to be rectified Mm. and people really need to trust that you're not scamming them. I think that is like one of the final frontiers of vintage shopping. If you can crack um, customer kind of trust and they believe that what you're doing is legit and what Mm. they're buying is legit, and there's that trust there, then, you know, you'll get a lot of customers and make a lot of money. But I think that's like the single biggest thing that people just can't get their head around. Yeah. That's so true. Yeah. So have you recently bought some vintage, secondhand, pre-loved, new to me, upcycled? I don't believe I have. Um, I don't know if I've ever really bought vintage. I've definitely bought something that's not like on eBay for cheaper or or an old, more an old style maybe even. Because um, I guess also as a quick thing, that's probably also a big thing of vintage or shopping is because things aren't just c- continued throughout certain colorways like Hermes has certain colorways that are rare or limited and that's Mm -hmm. what then creates this culture of you're trying to find that rare yellow that they did two years ago or yeah that's what creates it um but no I don't really think I have I definitely would like to and I really do think that I love the idea of a vintage bag and actually I think there's something nice of course, I wouldn't want like a battered bag, mm-hmm. but I also kind of think there's maybe something nice about already owning a bag that maybe does have a little bit of a mark mm. or like, I'm talking small, I don't want it yeah, to yeah, be totally small. scratched, but it takes that pressure off if you get that first mark on a bag. Imagine oh. paying like seven grand for a bag and that first scratch you get on it is going to hurt you. But if you're if it's pre-loved, if it's already got a bit of like minor wear and tear or the hardware's got a little bit of like scuffing, I think there's something nice about it's already had like a bit of like it's already gone through something. <laughs> That's interesting because 
I think that's a really good point. Mm. I think I'm completely the opposite way inclined. Like, really? If I buy something, you would. I, I know you wouldn't want it to have marks on. No, no, no. Like I don't. I don't mind marks. Yeah. But I. I like to. I like to abuse my stuff. Oh, okay. I'm not too like. But if you buy things, have you? But have you scratched your Balenciaga? No. But like oh. that, f- that first mark or that first like really like silly like you know if like you maybe by accident like brushed it past something and you're like ah yeah I get what you mean I think like for example me like I don't put my bags on like the floor and things like yeah. I try and I try and like take care of them as long as possible yeah but things I'm not happen. gonna lock them away in my wardrobe no, true. never to be used like I I, I'm the same I think. Yeah, bags are meant to be used, but I do yeah. think, yeah, if I'd bought uh, some people like to grand. be the first people to break them in. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and I think some people would be like devastated if they got like a slight mark or mm. some people do almost want to like wrap, you know, when those sofas have the plastic covering. <laughs> some people would like genuinely, I think, do that for their bag if they could to keep yeah, it yeah, yeah, like yeah. pristine. And that's that's I think why those bag liners that we discussed ages ago. Oh yeah. Like have come into play because people don't want to get a little crumb inside their bag. Like and, a bag liner. Yeah. But yeah. Man. Yeah. I get you. I get you. Um would you buy your first Chanel classic flap pre-loved? Because we know how crud. I actually was. think I would because the 90s version, there's like, they have like a more square shape. Okay. And it's really nice. Mm-hmm. Um, And they don't, they do like, I actually don't know if I like that oblong shape that much. Hmm. And I just also, I'm, I'm a big believer that handbags were made better mm. in the past. Like the quality was better, the art, the arts and, you know, the art of the craft of making them was just mm-hmm. different. So I actually really could could see myself getting, yeah. yeah. It's probably more likely that I would buy vintage Chanel than new at this Ooh. point. Okay, only yeah. because of the the pricing Price, and stuff yeah, like yeah. that um but yeah I don't know one um, thing I do like about vintage Chanel is the quilting was flat yeah I like that it's smoother and it looks softer and flatter um mm-hmm. now they're a bit puffier and some people like that puffier look mm-hmm. but there's something about the ones before that just seem like oh like nice to touch and also I think there's I think there's something really nice actually that especially if you resign yourself to like, oh, I'm gonna buy something vintage. Mm-hmm. There is so much more choice. If I wanted to go into Chanel and buy a bag, there's only a limited choice of what there is in there. So if they don't have a bag that I really like, I'm not buying a bag. Mm-hmm. But if you went like vintage, you can if you can't find one, then you don't want one. Like in that, in that arena. Yeah, but then with vintage is like when you see what you like you gotta go for it straight away yeah true it's, a bit like outlet um, <laughs> <laughs> it is uh, there is in theory there's a lot there's like an infinite number of choices out there yeah. you know the whole of history's handbags let's say but 
it's are you quick enough is and it's finding the right one the right quality the right right price price. Mm -hmm. that color if you did want it or the right hardware stuff um but I would definitely I think I love vintage but I would also if I were to buy multiple sort of luxury goods I would still every now and then want that store experience of getting the paper bag yeah like and that experience I think but I I don't know if that's what these luxury promise like if those stores maybe give you a bit of that I don't know if you can replicate it as much but yeah I think they do try to um because I think they understand that people who have money to spend want to see where their money's going mm. they want to have the tissue paper the dust bag yeah. the box all of that stuff um and I think that these boutiques that sell secondhand one of the ways they can differentiate themselves from the likes of eBay and Vestier and all that is the more rigorous authentication and the packaging and the service that comes with it so I think they probably do put in a lot of effort in that sense um but yeah I don't think you can knock an in-store experience, especially if you're someone like us who don't do it every day. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You, I think it's easier to buy a lot of vintage when you've already had that in-store experience and it's like, it's nothing to you anymore. You've had it a few times, you know what it's like. Um, Yeah. I just, I don't know, I just want someone to call me madam and just be really nice to me for an hour. Get a, get a glass of champers while you wait. Yeah. Would you like a drink? Yes, because um, I'll take anything free from this store. Yeah. <laughs> and you get to the till and you're like, do you have uh, samples, perfume samples? You yeah. Don't, uh, in Handbag a... samples. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Vintage. Yeah. So what is our poll for this week? I don't know. What do you reckon? Just kind of what's your view on buying second hand? Yeah, actually, because you're saying that about your friend and stuff like that. There, there, I think there are still lots of people who maybe would prefer for something not to be used before them. Um, so yeah, would like what are your thoughts on second hand? Would you would you buy something second hand or would you prefer for it to be to be the first user of something? But we'll say it in a more succinct way. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks again for tuning in to another episode of Style Over Substance, guys. Don't forget to check out our Instagram or Spotify to respond to this week's poll. Bye. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365 day returns.